right, here we go. It's episode 40 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Let me make sure my settings are correct here because often or not, they are. Uh, so it's a rare thing's working in my favor. Uh, Anthony DeMarco from the fourthperiod.com going to join us in just a minute. Also, Tone's takes today and a lot to get to here on Stick to Hockey Live. Um, so we will get to the business very quickly, but let me tell you about Bet Parks because it's uh, the new uh, app is out. The Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app it is live, and you got to get it because it is fantastic. You're looking for that little X right there in your app store, and when you find that, download the app. If you don't have an account, open up an account. If you have an account, I got good news for you as well. But take it from me, it's the all new Bet Parks app. It's everything you're going to want in a mobile casino and a sports book, and it's right in your pocket. So simple to use. You can bet player performances, over unders player props, game props, same game parlays, teasers, money lines, puck lines, everything. It's all there. So it's easy to sign up, easy to use, fun to use, and easier to win than ever before and faster to win than ever before. Uh, And again, Tone will have his plays coming up in just a little bit. And for new and existing customers, usually it's not existing as well. But right now, you can get the all-new Bet Parks app, and you can use, even if you're an existing customer, Use the promo code Jason750, J-A-S-O-N-750, and you're going to get a risk-free bet up to $750. $750. Terms and conditions do apply, but check that out. Use the promo code Jason750 on the all-new Bet Parks app, and you'll get that risk-free bet up to $750. You'll see right there how to apply it and all that great stuff. So, again, Jason750. Download the brand-new Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's get to the business here on Episode 40 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Joining us from north of the border, from the fourthperiod.com, it is Anthony DeMarco. Ant, what's going on? Not much, man. Do you have to do that every show? That's quite a mouthful that you uh, have to spew out <laughs> before we even get to the hard takes. Yeah, that's that's uh, got, you got to take care of the uh, the presenter for sure every time. That's it. And, that parks is awesome. They do a great job with the, the new app is fantastic. So uh, Tone will be along in a little bit and he's absolutely killing it this hockey season. So he'll give people some plays, but uh, flyers in Montreal tonight in your backyard, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, right down uh, the highway from me, I will be in attendance there tonight. So I'll get to see them up close and personal. I, a lot is riding on this. Uh, you know, the Shane Wright sweepstakes tonight between the flyers yeah. and the Habs. But look, it's going to be cool. It's my first chance to see guys like Bobby Brink, Ronnie Adder, Noah Cates up close and personal. I think like a guy like Kevin Hayes has played well lately. So um, all in all, still fun to see them up close and personal. And, you know, the Montreal Canadiens have some nice young pieces as well. You know, Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, to name a few. So, yeah, it's going to be a good game. Obviously, not a whole lot riding on it, but uh, excited nonetheless. It's like reverse riding on it because like Seattle goes and beats last night, Colorado. So the Flyers are third in the pecking order, you know, uh, and the I shouldn't say the pecking order, the drafting order. Yeah. And right now I'm pending, obviously, the NHL draft lottery. And like I'm fascinated and like can't put down the stupid draft lottery simulator because mm-hmm. I'm an ass. And I'm just like, well, where are they going to end up picking, you know, for the guy that says, you know, they shouldn't lose games on purpose. But that's happening by just by circumstance and how many guys they have out of the lineup. But Seattle beats Colorado last night. And now all of a sudden the Flyers 
have the third best odds to win the lottery in the Shane Wright sweepstakes. Yeah, and like even if they finish third, let's say, let's say all things remain equal more or less, I think the farthest they could drop down at that point would be six because I yeah. think you can only fall three spots. So even if worst case scenario, they go down to six. I know this draft is not a great one and not overly deep, but I still think in the top six, you're going to get a decent player. Like, obviously, if you're inside the top three or top four, I would assume if he's available, you go with a guy like Logan Cooley, you know, a centerman of the U.S. national program. But then there's also the two right-handed shot defensemen like Simon Nemich and Juracek. But then even if you go down to six, you know, you have those two centermen from the Winnipeg Ice and Matthew Savoy and Connor Geeky. Geeky, obviously, the bigger of the two, six foot four, 205 already. So, I mean, as long as they stay in like the top six or probably even seven because you have the the left wing who I think the last time I checked was slated to go number two. He seemed to leapfrog Cooley and Nemich. uh, Slekovsky, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. I think the Flyers are going to get either one of those right shot defensemen or the centerman. Now, maybe they go off the board. Maybe they take a winger, but it just feels like a right shot D or centerman. It's exactly what the doctor would order for them. Yeah. And, you know, the difference between having the third best odds and having the fourth best odds where the crack in our right now, the Flyers right now would have a 10.9% chance of landing the number one overall pick. And Seattle at that four spot has a 9.7. So it's a 1.2% difference. It's not that great. And I mean, even the Flyers with the third best odds at 10.9%, the best odds is Arizona right now. They're not going to be caught at 16.6. So, I mean, you can look at it at 16.6% chance, but that means also it's 83.4% chance exactly. that you don't land on the number one overall pick. Well, which is crazy, right? Because I remember in 06, 07, when the Flyers finished last and they actually lost the first round, the first overall pick to the Blackhawks. But if I'm not mistaken, the Flyers had like a 42% chance of getting the first overall yep. pick back then. So you've sliced it like uh, almost by almost in a third, not quite there, but almost there in that yeah. in that realm. And like I get it, I understand that you're trying to incentivize not tanking, which is exactly what the Coyotes did this year. Yeah. And it is crazy to say, and I'm sure Stevie Y would tell you this because he seemed to have taken the brunt of it over the last few years. That you know you're consistently one of, if not the worst teams, and you're never getting that first overall pick. Like, I believe it was in the, uh, was it last year, or the year before, where the Red Wings had the, the um, they were, had the best odds, and they fell all the way to number four. I think it was the year they ended up taking Lucas Raymond. And yeah, uh, that may have actually. How bad their record was that year? Yeah, I mean, it was brutal. Yeah, I mean, they were light years behind <laughs> The second worst team. This is the 1920 season. Yeah. So it's the shortened season. And uh, the Detroit Red Wings had 39 points. For So to put that into context, I know it was a shortened season. They played 71 games. The second worst team in the league was Ottawa, who also played 71 games. So Detroit had 39 points. Ottawa had 62. <laughs> As the they were brutal. worst team. They were brutal that year, and they fell all the way to four. And it 
Yeah, it kind of worked out in their favor, didn't it? You know, Lafreniere has struggled with uh, the Rangers and Lucas Raymond to this point, you could argue is the best player out of that draft right now. Obviously, Jamie Drysdale out in in Anaheim would have something to say about it, but it's worked out very well for them. And, you know, the Red Wings have just had brilliant drafts, like the guy Mort Sider, Lucas Raymond. They drafted the goaltender, I think, Sebastian Casa last year. Mm -hmm. So it just goes to show you, especially in the drafts where you don't have that bona fide, you know, generational budding star, falling a couple slots isn't the end of the world. And, like, who was the last team that finished last that got the first overall pick? Was it the... Could it be that the Leafs in 2016 when they drafted Matthews? I think there was one since then. I'm trying to remember. I did a whole episode on this on Flyers Daily about why, you know, not to tank. But I, I think there may have been. No, you know what? I think you might be right. It might be the Leafs and Austin Matthews. That I they were it, the last and they actually. right? 15-16. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that may have been it. I'll have to. I'll see if I can look it up. But. Um, it doesn't happen often. Like that was my point in not tanking because even there's two parts of it. A, are you going to get the number one overall pick if you tank and bring in a losing mentality? I always think that's more damaging, especially with a lot of young players around than people think. And then the other part of it is even if you get the number one pick, a lot of those years, when you look at whether it's Eric Johnson or whether you look at Neil Yakupov or, other first overall picks, even he sure to some extent. I mean, he's going to be a decent player, but he's not an earth mover. Lafreniere. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not always the best to be drafting one because you have this consensus feeling. And sometimes the consensus a couple of years later doesn't look like it made much sense like it did in 2017. That's exactly it, right? And, you know, the Leafs are a team that they tanked in the absolute best year, you know, right, for Austin Matthews. And, you know, you can make the case that he's already the most talented player to ever play for that organization. You know, having a very historical year, goal-scoring-wise, two-way dominance, arguably the Hart Trophy favorite to this point. But, yeah, it doesn't always work out that way. Like, look at the Buffalo Sabres under Tim Murray in, like, 2014, 2015. They did everything possible to get Connor McDavid and they end up with Jack Eichel who at the time wasn't a bad consolation prize but we know how that story went and even the year before in 2013-14 I think they really tried to tank and they ended up with the second overall pick again and they got Reinhardt instead of Ekblad yeah and again not a bad consolation prize I think Reinhardt's a good player but again how did that story go and is Reinhardt anything more than a solid middle six guy so it just goes not to show Ekblad. you, not Ekblad for sure. And imagine that team with McDavid and Ekblad. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think that story would have been changed quite a bit. But no, I'm with you 100%. Like, it's just not, it's not a sure thing when you tank. And, you know, even the Sabres, they got two first overall picks in, what was it, in four years. They got Darlene in 2018, Power last year. Power looks like a player. Darlene's a good underrated defenseman. But again, it can't single-handedly change your organization or even the Devils. You know, Jack Hughes is probably more like a typical first overall pick. We already discussed Tish here. Like two first overall picks, and that was three years, right? 2017 and 2019 was Hughes. Yeah. And look at them. They're arguably in the same boat as the Flyers right now. So, I mean, it takes a lot more than just tanking and banking on the first overall pick. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Edmonton, five in seven years. Yeah. And and they're a team. They're going to make the playoffs this year. But, I mean, they've been through it. They haven't won anything yet. 
And yeah, they don't have, they haven't had goaltending. You look at the teams that haven't had success and go in that route. And Buffalo's another one that didn't have goaltending. So if you don't have that, it doesn't matter. You know, the other part of it, you know, I look at a team like Montreal and, and they had the balls to do something I would not have had the stones to do. And that was hire Marty St. Louis with no yeah. coaching experience. I know of his relationship with Ken Hughes and their kids have played together and, and all that, but I wouldn't have had the guts to do that, but the flyers are going to be in a coaching situation, a search and trying to figure out who the next guy is. And I think this old conventional wisdom of, you know, you got to get a guy that's got a ton of experience and success and a big name. And that helps in the, Look, I don't. I think you got to throw all that out the window because I think today's game is so different with the young, the young players and the way they play now. We're seeing scoring way up this year, highest since '96, '95, '96. I mean, you're seeing that. So I think the game needs to be approached differently. So, like, I don't want people to freak out if you know they go with somebody you don't really know. Who gives a shit? It just has to be the right guy. Well, that's it. I, I think a big part of coaching is how you connect with your players. Like I've often said, like a lot of people fo- focus on like the X's and O's, that part of coaching, like the systematic part. But and that's completely important. But it's more, in my opinion, how well you can get guys to buy into your system. Like people ripped apart AVs, X's and O's, his process the last 12 months or so of his yeah. tenure. But the first year that he was here and everyone was bought in, they were a legitimate top 10 team in almost every underlying metric. They had a decent power play, a strong penalty kill, top, I think they were top five in terms of shots for and against. So I think that when they gave up the least amount of shots. Exactly. And like very sound defensive team. And obviously Mike Yo, who was the defensive coach at that time, was the PK guy at that time, had a lot to do with it. But I think getting your players to buy in is a big part of it. And like a guy like Peter Laviolette is a good example. Like you've heard numerous players talk about how good of a motivator he was, how much he got his players to buy in. And you've seen a lot of like analytical people kind of try and rip him apart his X's and O's, his process. But his track record speaks to himself. Three Stanley Cup finals, one Stanley Cup. I'm not sure if he's wanted Jack Adams or not, but he's been a long standing, you know, high level coach in the NHL, even though maybe his X's and O's aren't the best. And his players typically love the guy, like maybe not Nikolai Zherdev, but, you know, most yeah. of the players love him. He took three teams to a cup, won a cup and took a total of three teams to a cup final. Exactly. So, I mean, his first year with the Flyers, too. He comes in in December and he turns around that train wreck of a hockey team and gets them to a cup final. Two games with uh, two wins within the Stanley Cup. And you, the Montreal Canadiens bring in Marty St. Louis completely out of left field. And I, I do think, you know, Montreal is a very unique market because you do have the language thing. And when you bring in a Boston guy like Jeff Gordon, who doesn't speak French, and you bring in an an English Montrealer like Kent Hughes, who did go to my high school, so we have that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he speaks French very well, kind of like me, with the accent. But again, he's not like the typical uh, Quebecois, you know. So you go, I think that bringing in Marty St. Louis was a bit to kind of like of a PR move to appease the fan base but also to connect with the young guys. Like you've seen what he's been able to do with Cole Caulfield, another undersized winger. 
or a guy like Nick Suzuki, although Suzuki's game has stayed more stable. But I think also what St. Louis has done is that he's leaned on his assistant coaches uh, as well. I think a guy like Luke Richardson, who was retained under, and he's been there for quite some time now, has been able to be, you know, tasked with being more the X's and O's. And St. Louis has been that motivator. But the difference is between the Flyers and the Canadians is that the Canadians are completely embarking on maybe not a full scale rebuild, tear it down to the studs, but they're not expecting to contend or get back in the playoffs. So you can afford to roll with a guy who is mainly an intangibles coach and to help grow with these young players. So I agree with you that like I wouldn't be opposed to like hiring like an under the radar guy who fits more of that mold. But then I don't think you could simultaneously attach the get into the playoffs expectation with it. I agree. And the other thing too, like we all saw that video of, of Marty working with Cole Caulfield on that pivot move in the trigger position on the power play on the left side where you get the pass. And instead of just firing it, you grab it, you recoil and create a little space and then fire. And then in the next game, we see Caulfield do that exact thing and score. And the numbers don't lie. Caulfield, one goal, six assists in the first 30 games of the year. And then since St. Louis has been brought in, he's got 30 points in 32 games, you know, and 17 goals. So it's like, okay, there's a big difference here. And the connection, maybe Ducharme just couldn't connect with a guy like, like, uh, you know, Cole Caulfield. And you think they didn't think the game maybe the same way, but to me, it just opens up a whole new avenue of way of thinking because, the game has changed so much. The way you have to treat players has changed so much that I don't think you can just close the door on any kind of options. Well, you know, it, it just goes to show like a guy like Marty St. Louis who comes off the bench of a peewee club with yeah. no pro hockey experience. And not to say that the Canadians have turned into an elite level team overnight, but you've seen tangible like improvements with the hockey players since he's shown up because he's been there. He's done that. And not so long ago, St. Louis retired what? Yeah. Seven years. Like he still is fresh. And he was in the case of Cole Caulfield, like cut from the exact same cloth. And you can make the case that St. Louis was the most successful undersized player of all time. Mm -hmm. You know, he was the guy who conquered, you know, the biggest mountain, like nobody, you know, did as much as he did as a small player. And I do think that, like, you can't really have maybe the Ken Hitchcocks of the world anymore, like a guy who, you know, isn't maybe in the best shape, who just barks orders from the bench and runs his guys into the ground and all that. Like you said, it has to be more of a cordial relationship. A lot of respect has to be kept between the players and the the coaches. And I think that's why a guy like Marley St. Louis was such a breath of fresh air and thinking outside the box. I really like that move from Hughes and Jeff Gordon. And, you know, I do think there is something to be said about stop just recycling the old coaches, like go with some fresh faces, take that chance. And Montreal kind of set that standard. And even a guy like um, Sheldon Keefe in Toronto. Uh, Like I thought that that was a ballsy move by Kyle Dubas to make the move from Mike Babcock who was still owed what $7 million over three or four years on his contract, a guy that they really put all their eggs in the basket of and go with a guy like Sheldon Keefe, who was a successful coach with the Marlies. And I think Sheldon Keefe like has been a top five to 10 coach in the NHL since he showed up, obviously the playoff success leaves or the playoff performances 
leave something to be desired a bit, but I really like the way Sheldon Keefe has coached them, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, I mean, I do think there's something to be said in the Flyers case of looking outside the box, like the Canadians did most recently and the Leafs kind of did before. Yeah. And the thing is, is Marty didn't even never played in Montreal. I mean, obviously he's French, but um, didn't play there. So the, the notion that it has to be a player that played for your organization too, should go out the window uh, right with it. Um, let, let's talk about uh, the report you had on Ryan Ellis, because, you know, this is, I said to Bill Meltzer the other day, I said, is, is Ryan Ellis getting rehab at area 51? <laughs> you know, like it's, there's so much to wonder here about what's going on. We're getting down to the end of the season. You know, it's a week from tomorrow will be the final game and we'll get those, you know, exit press conferences from Chuck Fletcher and, and maybe we'll get some clarity on the situation then, but we've been kind of waiting for clarity for so long. Uh, what are you hearing in regards to Ryan Ellis and possible future with the Flyers? Well, what I'm hearing is that not many people know what the hell is going on with the guy and that he hasn't been seen around the team in over three weeks and that he wasn't, contrary to people who tried to discredit me, he wasn't present for the team photos. He was out of town getting treatment. Yeah, and we about that at that week at the time that he wasn't there, and that kind of bothered me. Yeah, like, I mean... Yeah, I like on a, on a side note, I thought it was pretty well documented that he wasn't present for the team photo. Like yeah. uh, that that's not insider information. Like that was a like if you were on Twitter inside that 24-hour radius, you would have known. Well, I believe but, Chuck was even asked about it and he was the one that said that he was getting treatment. Yeah, and so he would be photoshopped in. Yeah. So, anyway, I don't even know how that took on a life of its own yesterday, but obviously the people who tried to do pull that corrected themselves but that's neither here nor there um but i think that there is kind of a sense and this is not me saying as i wrote in my piece that you know he told the flyers he wants out or that you know he he's made it like completely evident that of that but i do think the way it's being handled and it's being so secretive and a lack of progress is causing some people to question his desireness to be with the team mm -hmm. and whether or not he's bought into coming back and being part of you know, retool, rebuild, whatever the hell ultimately comes to fruition this summer. And in terms of what the actual injury is, I asked a well-placed source about it. And, you know, this guy is, you know, right in the trenches. And he said it, he's heard as many of injuries being a hip, a hip flexor, a core muscle, a groin, abdominal, and then proceeded to say that I'm tired of asking because no one seems to know exactly what the hell is going on. So you got, on one hand, the issue that, you know, Ellis has seemingly not made much progress and is now reportedly, based on my sources, contemplating surgery and trying to figure out if he will even be ready for training camp. And then on the other hand, you have some people within the organization questioning whether or not he even wants to come back or wants to be part of this. But then if he's not playing and he's played four games in the last eight months or so, or by the time training camp rolls around 12 months, is there a way to trade him? Is anyone going to want to bite on a five-year contract that's worth, at least on the cap, more than $30 million? It's just a very bizarre situation and one that has completely snowballed since November. Yeah, and there's that's crazy because nobody nobody's going to trade for it. 
not on a player that's played four games and you know you don't have any resolution on where his health is now that's an untradeable contract right now it's 100 there's no way you can move it uh, is there a desire for him to play period are you hearing anything about that because i mean does he want to retire or does he just not want to play here i I didn't ask directly about that, but my sense is, is that he doesn't want to play here. And I mean, you interviewed him on Flyers Daily and a lot of people who listened to that thought that he came off kind of upset about the trade. What was your opinion on that when you interviewed him? I mean, look, I had, I think it was on my radio show too, or no, I had him on Flyers Daily, but I came back and said on my radio show about four minutes after the deal was announced when he was acquired. And Cam jumped right in and he had some connections here with, you know, his wife and Hartnell's wife were best friends and they played together in Columbus and he was all about it and fresh start and everything. Ellis, in my sense, clearly was blindsided by being traded, which I'm surprised at because his name was out there and, you know, just seemed like he was like almost just stunned at the time. And, you know, didn't seem that into it because he was just kind of stunned and you know some players I look I get it I don't know if we should read too much into that or if that just you know that it actually happening really hit him hard because he you know he really immersed himself in the Nashville market and everything but I mean at some point you got to go hey this is professional sports I got to get over it I got to move forward and just four games played this year you can't force your way out of anywhere because you have no value to be able to be traded somewhere else at this point. And look, and look, like the, the Flyers traded for him last summer for next to nothing. They mm-hmm. traded their worst defenseman, their worst forward for Ryan Ellis. And that was him coming off of a year where he missed, I think, 21 games or so, but still at 18 points, had five points in six games in the playoffs. And still had a very good track record. You know, his underlying numbers were indicative of that. So imagine trading for him a year later when he played four games. Yeah, you're not you can't it. get much less value than Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers. You know what yeah. I'm saying? As so I think he wants to play. That's that's just speculative. Like that's not me reporting it, because I don't think the guy is has such a bad enough injury that it's going to cause him to go on LTIR for the next five years. Mm -hmm. And if he was going to retire, he'd be leaving tens of millions of dollars on the table. Yeah. I think that he was a guy that was blindsided by the trade. And I remember Elliot Friedman reporting on CBC hockey night in Canada, or now Rogers sports at hockey night in Canada in January or February of 2021, that the predators were open for business because at that time they really were struggling And the only untouchables were Rene, Yossi, and Ryan Ellis. Yeah. So I think at one point, Ryan Ellis was considered an untouchable for the Nashville Predators. But But somewhere... And did Ekholm, that changed it. And it's changed it. And I think a big part of that was the fact that you had the injury issue. Mm -hmm. And he was already in his 30s. And then maybe you had a guy like Dante Fabro who could step into a top four role, role, the guy, I think his name is Alexander Carrier, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. young defenseman. And, you know, they've been a defenseman factory for what seems like two decades oh, now. Yeah. But 
they made the decision to move on from Ryan Ellis, extend Ekholm, and get out from under that contract, even doing so for what seemed at the time to be pennies on the dollar. He comes here. You, you know, you've talked about, we've talked about that he clicked really well with Ivan Provorov in the beginning. Uh, those first three games that he played, he played really well. I believe he scored a goal too. And that pairing was looking damn good. Yeah. Then he comes back for a game, gets hurt again in Dallas. And for me, what's interesting about this and what lends me to believe that it isn't like a career threatening injury is how the narrative around it progressed. Because if you remember AV, when back when he was the coach, said something that if it were the playoffs, he would be playing. Yeah. And they were being careful. And they were being careful. But if it was a playoff game, he would be playing. Then when he got hurt the second time, it was four to six weeks, which would have tracked him to come back in early January, I think. Then it went to indefinitely. And then he's not coming back this season. Yeah. And that so, was like in March, beginning of March when they said that, right? Exactly. So for me, it seems like maybe there's a disconnect between him and the medical staff. He's only contemplating surgery now. Maybe he didn't want to get surgery. Maybe he wanted a second opinion. It's a very bizarre situation. And I don't typically like to dig on injuries because I like to respect the player's privacy. And oftentimes executives don't want to talk about, you know, injury situations unless the player gives it the A-OK, but this was one, and this is one rather, that is so bizarre that it seemed like it was good to, how would you say, it, it warranted some extra digging on it. Yeah, the, the whole thing is, I mean, there's so much tied up in him, and I don't mean money, I just mean everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he's not going to be there, I don't know, it, <laughs> you need a top pairing right side defenseman. And while Cam York and Provorov, I think played okay together. That's not, uh, to me, that's not the the best solution to the problem and moving Sanheim up. Now you're weakening your second pair. Anything you do where you're moving a guy up, you're weakening yourself somewhere else. That's the thing. Well, you, when you had Charlie on, on Monday, you guys kind of broke it down really well that, you know, the, the concept of trading Sanheim or Provorov. And I agreed with Charlie 100% that Sanheim is, in my opinion, probably untouchable at this point. Or not untouchable, I just don't think they're looking to move him and Provorov would be more likely of the two to go. But if you move one of them, you're only going to open up another hole yeah. because of Ryan Ellis's uncertainty. If Ryan Ellis was healthy completely and you knew he was going to be back for next season and play at least let's say 65 70 games i could be sold on you know sandheim ristoline and york ellis i could be mm. sold on that because ellis would be carrying the workload but if he's not part of the equation what are you gonna do yeah. and you know the aggressive retool thing sounds a bit far-fetched with ryan ellis but you can see it because if he's healthy, I like their top four a lot. And then I like Cam York on the third pair. Let's say you add a veteran right shot guy like Jan Ruda. I like yeah. that defense a lot. You have or a even solid Braun back or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, a facsimile to Braun, something yeah. like that. 
I like their defense a lot. I really like that top four because Ryan Ellis coming back reduces Risto's minutes, reduces mm-hmm. his minutes on the PK, reduces his D zone start. So there's a big trickle down effect from Ryan Ellis coming back. So I could at least be sold on the aggressive retool. I may not completely agree with it, which I don't, but I could be sold on it if he's there. If he isn't there, it's damn near impossible to think that it will come out positively, don't you think? Yeah, I don't – like I remember when they said the aggressive retool thing, and um, to me, like I try not to listen to what they say, and I try to just react to what they do because it's way more – how many times has a coach told you that, oh, I like this player, blah, 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 or I don't – you know, this guy's not playing well. It, I judge how a coach feels about a player by usage. Yeah. You know, that that's the thing that matters that really tells you how somebody feels. It's, it's again, it's not what they say because pro sports and the communicating to the, you know, media and slash fan base doesn't have to be truthful. It's also agenda driven. So if you really want to know what they're going to do, you follow the tea leaves of what they are doing, not what they are saying. It's like, I think we're going to get a really good indicator ant early. And that indicator is this. Whoever they hire as the next coach, to me, is the first tea leaf of what direction they're going as sure. far as organizationally. Well, yeah, because if they go out and they hire John Tortorella, are yeah, they going to take Exactly. So I don't think it's going to be John Tortorella. Mm-hmm. Like uh, someone out of Ottawa, uh, TSN 1200s, tweeted earlier in the week that he had heard it was going to be talking to Tortorella. Um, I checked in with one of my sources. They said that's not the case. Maybe it could be at a future date, but as of right now, it's not down to talk it or Tortorella. And I remember talking to someone back in December uh, before they had publicly announced that Mike Yo would finish the season that at the time told me that Yo was finishing the season. And I brought up talk it specifically. And they didn't seem all that enthralled with the idea of bringing talk it back. Mm-hmm. But but if you bring in, let's say, a Jim Montgomery or David Quinn or Travis Green, well, then maybe that signals more of a re... I don't think it's going to be a full rebuild because I don't think this is a scenario where you tear it down to the studs like can't. Ottawa did. Or Yeah, and you've said you can't. Like, what, you're going to try and unload Katori before his contract even kicks in or Kevin Hayes? You, you can't do it. But maybe something where next year you admit defeat, you go in with a team that's similar to the one we're seeing now, you put all your focus on the 2023 draft, and then you you put your onus on 2024 and making the playoffs then. Yeah. But if you bring in a Tortorella or someone else of that nature, then I don't think that's really going to be the mandate. Yeah. I think that whoever that next coach is, is the first part of action that we see that we go, okay, this may be an indication which way they're leaning on going. Again, again, I look at that press conference and say, those are just words. They don't mean shit to me. Yeah, You know, saying aggressive retool at that time and saying those things, it doesn't mean anything. It, the only thing that's going to mean something is what they do. And again, I, I totally don't think that they can, you can't, rip it down to the studs because you have a couturier coming off a of back surgery with an eight-year contract in front of him hayes coming off triple triple core surgery i know he's played well but still nobody's taking that contract in a trade and you can't trade pennies on the dollars in 
a, a fundamentally flat cap world where it's only going up a million this year, a million next, and a million the year after. Unless in that third year, they far exceed projections because they owe so much back money because of the escrow situation. Yeah, the players owe the owners a lot of money, yeah. which I think they only project to have fully paid off by 2025, which yeah. is then maybe we'll get back to a more usual cap increase that we are accustomed to post-COVID. And no, I agree 100%. And I just don't think they can do an Arizona or a even Toronto or an Ottawa rebuild, even if they wanted to. I think they're going to have to try and do something that we just saw LA do where you keep Kopitar, you keep Brown, you keep Doughty, but then you build around them where you draft guys like Velarde and Byfield and Turcotte. You trade for a defenseman like Sean Dursey, and then you kind of reload on the fly. And then last summer, loved what Rob Blake did where he adds Phil Deneau, adds Victor Arvidsson, and off to the races they go. And I think L.A. – yeah. yeah, now they're a playoff team. Do I think they're going to win the cup? Probably not, but I mean, they're still on their way. And you have put in place a succession plan to Kopitar and to Doughty and to Dustin Brown. So I think that's something that they're going to have to look at. And I don't think it's that far-fetched if you really invest in doing it. If you trade off a guy like Provrov, you trade off a guy like Konechny, maybe hang on to Sanheim that him and Ristolain could kind of be the veterans on the back end. Maybe if Ryan Ellis can come back, he provides that as well. And then you insulate guys like Cates and Bobby Brink and Tyson Forster. And if he could get healthy, Wade Allison, maybe down the road, guys like Wisdom and Denway, whoever you may draft between now and you know 18 months from now. I don't think it's that far-fetched, but are they going to be able to do it? And is Chuck Fletcher going to do it? And how are you going to execute it? Because if you go in this offseason with the hopes of getting back into the playoffs next year and you start mortgaging the future and trading assets, not saying that it's a, a surefire plan to, to fail, but if it doesn't work, you're setting yourself back a few steps behind the eight ball than you already were. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Ant, that's uh, great stuff. Um, the game in Montreal, enjoy it tonight at the Bell Center. Don't, just don't do what I did when I was up there for in 2010. I was at uh, across the street from the Bell Center trying to get something to eat. That, it's like a Reading Terminal Market type place across my hotel on uh, Chateau Champlain. And I'm in there and they wouldn't take American money. So I'm like, do you know where, can you, temp, is there like an ATM machine? So she points down, I go down there and I'm standing in line. I get, I'm trying to fumble with this machine. It's all in French. And the people <laughs> behind me are getting pissed off. And I turn around and the guys, and I'm like, I don't speak for anything. And the guy spoke English and he goes, this is the train ticket machine. This is not the ATM machine. Dummy. <laughs> oh, you were <laughs> at Windsor station. Train. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if, uh, if you come down for the draft, I'll be happy to translate anything for you. So uh, yeah. looking forward to it, man. What I do know how to translate is uh, the Shapery. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows Shapery. <laughs> it's a uh, Montreal landmark. Doing, yeah. <laughs> thanks for doing this, Ant. We'll talk next week. Take it easy, bud. There he is, uh, Anthony DeMarco from the fourthperiod.com. Uh, great stuff. Let me take those rings off my face. Uh, great stuff, as always. Uh, a lot of question marks, a lot of up in the air right now. But it is time for to do something we like to do on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. We do it every Thursday. And it's a little something we call Tone's Takes.
there he is. There's Tone. What's going on, Tone? Hey, what's up, Jason? How you doing? Good, man. You look like you're at the booth at the diner. <laughs> yeah, this is the cafeteria of my work here. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, uh, Tone, uh, you're hitting them, uh, hitting them hard again. We're getting closer and closer to playoff hockey. And, I mean, next I mean, geez, next week, I guess we got to look at some of the, the odds as the regular season's winding down on some place on some futures for conference or cup and all yep. that stuff. But yep. let's get to play number one. You're plus 35.72 units year to date. Let's start out with play number one. Let's start out with the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I'm going to take Dallas on the money line here, plus 185. Um, it's a desperate, desperate spot for them. They've lost two games on this road trip, lost to Edmonton last night. Uh, they only have a two-point lead on Vegas now for that final wild card spot. In Vancouver, I think it's four points behind them. So, um, I'm not, you know, back-to-back, yeah, it concerns me, but I think they're going to, um, you know, press a little bit in this game and, I like the value of it at plus 185. Calgary's back after, I think they had a five-game road trip. Not much to play for. I think Dallas is going to be the more desperate team here, so I'll take a shot at this number. Yeah, and first game back home after a road trip, never a great spot for the home team. It's just right. not. Yep. So you got to get the laundry done. You got to check the mail. You got to punch the time clock with the wife and kids or girlfriend, whatever you got to do. Um, why am I hoping that Vegas misses the playoffs so badly? Well, I mean, me personally, it's the way they ha- handled Mark Andre Fleury. I mean, yeah. number one, <laughs> that dude that's probably one of the best guys in hockey, and you know they kind of did him dirty. So, I agree. And Jack like a couple. Fact, I mean, <laughs> yeah, with that guy, I mean, I don't know. It's just crazy. They've done a couple guys dirty, and the other part is, like, I want their fan base to know what it's like not to make the playoffs. Like, oh yeah, you don't just jump into this league and make it every year. Go to a cup yeah. final. Yeah. You know, suffer a little bit. We've all yeah. suffered. I hated uh, the fact that they went to the finals in their first year. I hated I did it. too. <laughs> um, let's go to play number two here. Boston and Pittsburgh, uh, two teams here in the Eastern Conference and uh, looking to make some hay in the playoffs. But you got a total you like on this game. Yeah, I like the under, under six, minus 115. I hit it on Saturday um, after two quick Boston goals and ended two to one. Uh, they just match up really well with each other. The unders eight one and one in the last ten games between these two teams. Uh, they're getting ready for playoff hockey. Uh, Pasternak is out. Malkin's out. Out. Um, Pittsburgh has to go with the Smith for a little while here, so they're going to be playing some tight games in front of them. So uh, with the matchup, I mean, if there's seven goals in this game, then so be it. But I like I like the number at under six here. Yeah, Jari out right now, week to week, and we'll see if we get that if he is able to get them him back and get him going playing healthy. Heading into these playoffs, Pittsburgh will need them, and they could end up as a wild card team. But a team that's battling for the division title all of a sudden, and boy, I was wondering at the midway part of this part of the season if this team was for real to begin with. And now all of a sudden, they're a point back of the Canes, and it's the Rangers taking on the Isles. But uh, the Rangers only one point back. Wow. Well, actually, they're yeah, tied I like- points. I, I digress. They're tied. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I like the Rangers here, minus one twenty-five on the money line. Um, they're a good road team, 23-13-2 on the road. Islanders beat them uh, pretty handily two times at MSG last month. Uh, Rangers won earlier in the season in, in uh, at Long Island. Um, this team, with, with the injuries there is now, the Jari and Freddie Anderson in Carolina, I mean, if Chester can, you know, keep rolling, this is going to be a very tough out in the playoffs. I know their analytics are great, but, you know, if, if he gets hot, we all know what a hot call he can do, so... I uh, like the way they're playing right now. So it's kind of a short line. Um, Sorokin's not starting tonight. Bartlemoff's going for the Islanders. So 
getting to avoid Sorokin, I, I'll take the Rangers at this number here on the road. Yeah, no, it could have had the Sorokin Shesterkin battle. It still is Russian on Russian uh, with yep. Varley in there, though. All right, so there's Tone's takes. Number one was the uh, play number one Dallas money line at plus 185. And then we got the Boston Pittsburgh game under six at minus 115, and the Rangers minus 125 against the Isles. So we're looking forward to that. Tone, thanks for doing this as always. People can get your stuff where? Yeah, on uh, Tone's Takes at Twitter and also do uh, daily articles for Dimers and Odd Shepherd for NHL bets. All right, perfect stuff, man. We'll talk next week, Tone. All right, thanks, Jason. Take care. There he is, Tone, for another edition of Tone's Takes here on Stick to Hockey Live, presented by Bet Parks. And let me tell you about the Bet Parks app. Those three plays from Tone, uh, all great ones to put on the Bet Parks app with the uh, using the promo code Jason750 because you got a risk-free bet up to $750, not just for new users. This is for new and existing customers on the new Bet Parks app. So if you don't have the app, make sure you download it. It's the all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. It is now live. It's It looks like this. I think you all have one. It looks like a phone. You can do it all right there in the palm of your hand. It's simple to do. It's everything you've wanted a mobile casino and sports book. And again, it's right in your pocket. It's uh, on the go and it's easy to sign up. It's easy to navigate, fun to use and faster to win than ever before. So check it out and download the new app. If you don't have an account, open one and use promo code Jason750. If you have an account, still use promo code Jason750. Because like I said, all bet parks users, all users, new and existing, can use that promo code and get a risk-free bet up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply. So make sure you get it. Make sure you uh, put some of those Tones takes in there and uh, cash in as well. You can bet money lines, props, parlays, player performances, goals, over-unders on points. Uh, you can bet the uh, hockey playoffs, which are coming up, the remainder of the regular season, of course, hoops playoffs, baseball, and tons more. So download the all-new Bet Parks app today. You will not regret it. Must be 21 or over and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Uh, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. So the Flyers are back in action tonight in Montreal. They take on La Habitante. They'll be in action on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And we'll be back Monday with another brand new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. So everybody, thanks for watching. Uh, thanks for listening. Leave us a rating and review. Make sure you subscribe. If you're listening on the audio platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all those different ones, and uh, get in touch with my guys over at Wildfire Podcasting as well, and uh, tell them that I sent you, you get your first episode for free. If you want to get into podcasting, uh, check out Jim Grosso and the guys over at Wildfire. They do a great job. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday's brand new. That Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Now listen.